Now, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home. Three uh, also along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent the word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to, your, to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and they went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. I'm going to add uh, just a couple of verses. So um, the scripture continues. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair, he dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses's father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat bread and Moses's father-in-law with Moses's father-in-law before God. So I just wanted to add a couple of those verses. Um, so thank you for, for your patience in that. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, thank you so much uh, to Bertha and to, and to Sook and to uh, Chantal. And, and uh, I know Sherry spent uh, long nights uh, putting this music together and hope. Thank you for your contributions and just everybody. And Justin, of course, thank you for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, we are not uh, in a sermon series right now. We're in between sermon series, but I think it's right to, to just take a pause uh, uh, and to look at this particular chapter. And I think there's a lot that we can actually learn from this particular chapter as we are in a very unique season in our lives. Yes, this is in some sense about fathers and sons, um, but that's not why I, I chose this passage. Uh, this is a, a a passage about people who are experiencing and reflecting on deliverance. And as a community of New Yorkers who are coming out of COVID, uh, as a Christian, I think it's safe to say, it's fair to say that we're a community that's being delivered. This summer is not like last summer. And so this is a unique opportunity. It's a unique season in our lives to, to pause and to humbly reflect, to rejoice, uh, to celebrate as we reunite with friends, as we reunite with family after a season of trials, of plagues, of a plague, uh, after a season of separation. And so this passage in this sermon, I hope, uh, 
has a lot, uh, there's a lot that we can learn here. And I hope that it gives us, in a sense, a redemptive mindset, not only for our lives, but for this summer. You know, oftentimes we use words like renew and restore and redeem and resurrect, and those are all good words. Those are all right words. But all of those words fall under the category, the biblical category of deliverance. See, all of these words are, are uh, come out of God's desire and his ability to rescue his people, to deliver his people from situations that we're not able to extract ourselves from uh, on our own. And so let's look at this passage. Let's consider uh, this season in our life. And let's think of, uh, let's consider what does it look like to trust in God's deliverance. And I think we can see three things. That when we trust in God's deliverance, uh, our identities are informed, that transparency is fostered, and that our community is enlarged. Let me put it another way. When we trust in God's deliverance, uh, that informs our identity, that fosters transparency, and that enlarges our community. So first, it informs our identity. When we talk about deliverance in the Bible, we're not talking about a single event. We're not talking about a future promise. Uh, when the God of the Bible is referred to as a deliverer or as the deliverer, uh, it's talking about deliverance in terms of his identity. God is the deliverer. And therefore, deliverance and every aspect of deliverance uh, comes from God because it's intrinsic to his very nature. Second uh, Samuel 22, uh, the, the, the prophet David, King David says of God, he says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. See, he describes the character of God in three redemptive ways. Deliver, deliverance, in a sense, is intrinsic to God's nature. And what we learn from even just that verse is that sometimes God prevents us from trials and tribulations. And sometimes, out of his wisdom, he enters into trials and tribulations in order to rescue, in order to renew, redeem his people. So God is a deliverer because that's just who he is. It's his nature. It's his character. It's his identity. And those who experience his work, because uh, and those who trust in his rescuing character, they become more and more like him. His deliverance informs their identity. His deliverance shapes their lives. And let me give you a quick example from the life of, of King David. You know, there's a, a, you know, the famous story of David and Goliath, right? And David and Goliath, you know, Israel is being confronted by Goliath. Uh, he's chastising them. He's saying, ye of little faith in his own way. But David is, is offended. He's not deterred. He's not afraid. And he says, well, I'll take on this, this giant. And then King Saul comes to this small shepherd boy. And he says, you realize the person that you're about to fight, he, he's not a youth. He's been fighting since his youth, but you're just a child. But Dave, David uh, uh, speaks truth to King Saul, and he says, listen, uh, I'm a shepherd for you. I oversee your flock. And you know what happens when a bear or a lion comes in and takes, off, takes one of your sheep? I hunt that bear down, and with my bare hands, I, I, I've killed bears and I've killed lions. I'm not afraid of this. Goliath. I'm not afraid of this giant. But why is he so confident? Why does he say that? 
Well, First uh, Samuel 17 says this, and David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will save me from the hand of the Philistine. See, David was so convicted by the God who delivers that not only was he convinced, not only had he seen it time and time again, but in vocalizing that, in living it out, he swayed a king. And, king, and Saul said this to, to David, he said, go, and may the Lord be with you. See, God's deliverance informs David's identity. It shapes his life. But before there was a David, of course, there was a Moses. And Moses was so formed by the deliverance of God that his legacy is based on God's deliverance. Look at the way that he names his children. In verses 3 and 4, he names his children after his own story. He names his children based on God's redemptive work in his life. He was once a sojourner, but now he's delivered. Those are the names of his kids. Now, that is a powerful statement to make in an ancient world. You know, in an ancient world, your children were your identity. Your children were a source of security. The more children that you, you had, the more people looked at you and said they are favored by God. They're blessed by God, in large part because when you had that many children, they were able to take care of your portfolio, if you were. They were able to take care of the farm, the cattle, the sheep. They were, to, they were your investment plan. They would take care of you in your old age. But Moses, because he believes in a God of deliverance, pushes back on that narrative, that cultural narrative. He lives counterculturally. And he names, when he names his kids, in a sense, he's saying he's declaring it a new identity. He's declaring his trust is in God, not in his kids. And in so doing, he frees them. And in a sense, he frees you and I. See, on this Father's Day, let me just offer you, the, you this. When he, um, when he names his kids after the God of deliverance, he's not putting his identity in his own uh, person and work, nor is he placing that um, burden on his, own, on his own children. He's saying to the world, my identity is this. I am one who has been delivered, and I am one who will always be delivered. Whether I have one child or a thousand, I place my trust in God. I place my trust in the God of, who delivers. But what about Jethro? What about Jethro? I think you can say that Jethro, Jethro is being delivered as Moses speaks. What does it say, say there? It says Jethro glorifies God when Moses reports what the Lord has done. And what that means is that Jethro uh, was presently being informed by his hearing of the deliverance of God, but it was uh, just another example in all of Jethro's life in which God had been working in his life to bring about deliverance. See, it was coming to, to life for Jethro in this moment, but it was also something that Jethro had been tracking with for 40 years. It is the deliverance by the God of Israel is something that Jethro had been been thinking about and contemplating and mulling over and leaning into little by little for the last 40 years, ever since Moses arrived in Midian. See, when Moses arrived in Midian, what that meant for Jethro was that he and his family were going to survive in Midian. Jethro was a priest. 
and he had seven daughters and he had a, and he had a, a farm to work he had sheep to, to shepherd right and they were all shepherded by his daughters but time and time again jethro's daughters came under uh, attack they came under pressure from those neighboring male shepherds and and jethro and moses became fast friends when moses wanders into midian and he protects Jethro's daughters. And Jethro realizes, I need a son. And so they become friends, and eventually Moses marries into the family. And for the next 40 years, Jethro experiences a God who delivers, who intercedes, who interacts through the life of Moses to uh, renew, to protect, to deliver. And so for 40 years, Jethro understood a little bit about deliverance, but in this conversation, it comes home for him. He understands it a way that he hadn't before, and that's why five times in this passage, deliverance is just is used. It's just pouring out from both Moses and Jethro's mouth. They were so informed by deliverance that Moses named his children after the God of deliverance, that Moses gave his life, or excuse me, Jethro gave his life to the God of deliverance. So let me ask all of us today, how is the grace of God, the grace of the God who delivers, being told through you, through your life? We need to be de de delivered. Uh, we are not a, 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 you know, we need to deli be delivered from our, the very idea uh, that we don't need deliverance. <laughs> We need to be delivered from our inability to recognize or reveal how much God has delivered us from circumstances, from our very selves. Why? So that our world might see and experience the active role that the grace of God plays in our lives. So first, when you trust in the grace, when you trust in the, the God of deliverance, he informs your identity. Second, he fosters transparency in the relationships that you have with one another, even the most formal ones. When you trust in the grace of God, uh, when you trust in the God of deliverance, he not only uh, informs your identity, but he fosters transparencies in the relationships that you have, even the most formal ones. Look, Moses and Jethro, they were separated by distance. They were separated by injustice. They were separated by plagues. Uh, and they were united here. And in so doing, they gave thanks to God. And so as we're reunited today, you might say, let us, let us uh, do what they've done. Let's reunite together uh, uh, and to, to, to be uh, full of joy and rejoicing and to recognize that God's uh, hand has been at work in our lives over the last 18 months. Let our relationships be marked by transparency, intimacy, and joy. And let me show you, uh, and let me describe what I think is, is happening here in this passage. But first, let me do that by way of illustration. This past week, I watched or rewatched an episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Uh, this was the episode in which Jerry Seinfeld was reunited with uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus. Now, similar to Jethro and Moses, I don't know exactly how long it had been since the two of them had seen each other, but they're reunited. And when they're re reunited, um, when they're 
they first see each other. And all throughout that, that day, I would imagine it is, they just simply rejoiced in all that they, they knew about each other, all that they'd been through, all that they'd experienced together. And it's from the moment that she opens the door, they begin to laugh and they begin to hold one another and they grab each other's faces and you know them. So you can picture this. And they say, do you remember this? Do you remember what it was like to, to, to live like this the way that we, that we once did? And at one point, uh, Seinfeld says, he, he says to her, he says, I, I'm going to love every sentence that today that begins with, do you remember the time? Do you remember the time when? And because of their shared history, they had transparency between them. They didn't just share the highs, but they shared the lows. They were utterly transparent. And there's this one 10 seconds stretch in there where they're recounting something, a regret of, of hers. And she says, you know, when you brought this idea to me, you made me cry. And I wanted to say two things. She says, first, you're terrible at interpersonal relationships. And right away, he says, that is, that is not true. And then she says, secondly, you were right. We should have gone in that direction, and I regret it. And they both begin to laugh. And so they know each other so well that they're able to just be direct and honest and enjoy each other and love each other and forgive each other. They're, they're able to be transparent with one another. Uh, and I want uh, that image of them, uh, the feelings of that experience, I would like to take that reunion and ask you to consider the reunion of Moses and Jethro. Because this reunion between Moses and Jethro is not an obligatory cultural exchange between father and son, son-in-law. Yes, Jethro is older. He's a mentor to Moses in the ways of shepherding, but Moses is a national hero now. Moses, you know, Jethro is a priest. Moses is the mediator between God and man. He doesn't have to treat Jethro this way. He, he wants to treat Jethro this way because he doesn't just uh, serve his father-in-law. He loves his father-in-law. And his father-in-law is a living, breathing reminder of God's continual deliverance in both of their lives. He loves him dearly. And there's nothing he would rather be doing, you, you get the sense in this passage, than being with, with Jethro and recounting all that God has done in their lives, recounting his deliverance. That's why it says that he goes out, and of course, he goes through the, the bowing and the kissing, right? But then it says, and they exchanged welfares with one another. And you ever had that experience with somebody where you see them for the first time after a long time, and maybe you're supposed to go in and have dinner, or you're supposed to go and get settled somewhere, but it takes you about 20 minutes before you actually stop just catching up initially and checking in and looking at each other and saying, oh my goodness, it's been so long. It's so good to see you. I'm so glad to be in your presence. I could just stand here all night and talk. So what do they do? See, this isn't a cultural, traditional exchange. They stand and they exchange welfare with one another. They love one another. They recount the deliverance of God with one another, and then they go back inside. And their relationship, because it's based on the deliverance of this God, is one of transparency. See, Jethro had heard all that God had done for Israel, but... Moses tells him 
all that God had done for Israel, including the hardships. See, Moses tells him everything, both the highs and the lows. He tells him uh, about, um, you know, Moses' doubts, his fears in the midst of all that God was doing before Egypt. He talks about um, the plagues, one after another, how tired they were. He talks about the parting of the Red Sea and how his hands had it to be held high. And uh, he needed all, a community of people around him. And, and he had to just trust in God and how difficult and weary it was. He didn't think he was going to make it. He's able to tell all of that to Jethro, his father-in-law, which should be a formal relationship. Why? Because he's not putting his own, his own trust in his own abilities, but he's putting his own trust in the God of deliverance. And Jethro, in hearing that, comes to faith. Because Jethro knows Moses. He knows his strengths. He knows his weaknesses. He can imagine him in that particular context and in some saying, oh, my goodness, and oh, no, and oh, I understand where you would fail in that. And you could have never done that had it not been, it had it not been if God didn't show up. And it's out of hearing both the highs and the lows, it's out of that transparency that the reality of God comes and lands on Jethro in a way that it hadn't in 40 years. And so Jethro, commentators say, comes to faith in the living God. He begins to trust in the living God. Now, what would it look like for us if we were to live that way? What, if, what would it look like if we were to live that way at work? If in a sense, you know, uh, we didn't just have our degrees on the wall, but we put, we had uh, the many instances in which God delivered us, the way that God maybe got us into a school when it wasn't based on, on our abilities, or God uh, uh, made a project, uh, you know, cross the finish line, or, or brought a meeting together, or somebody called and, and got you a, a, a lease somewhere, or, you know, time and time again, uh, are you showing not just how skilled and, 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 and how, uh, what great business acumen that you have, but are you also demonstrating and proclaiming the ways that God is the one who's at work in this? It's God that's delivering you. It's God that's helping you produce. It's God that's making you successful. You wouldn't be successful without the grace of God. Are you showing that in your, parent, in your professional life? Fathers and mothers. Are we showing that to our kids and our parenting? Are we showing them our utter dependence on God, as in, in, in our, our dependence on him as our deliverer? Are we teaching them not only a strong work ethic, but that a work ethic apart from the deliverance of God will get you nowhere? Will get you nowhere. That self-sufficiency alone cannot ultimately save them. That hard work is necessary. It's utterly important. Uh, but it hasn't saved us as parents. And therefore, it won't save our children as well. What are we teaching our kids? Are we teaching them hard work is important? Yes. But that alone will not get you to what ultimately brings you uh, an identity rooted in joy and, and courage and grace and a transparency 
that shares the way that God moves in the world and actually uh, enlivens people's souls, brings people to a saving faith. And so kids, on this Father's Day, let me throw something to you too. Something, you know, Moses teaches us that parents learn from children. That for 40 years, Jethro, who was in effect, the only father that, earthly father that Moses knew, was always watching and learning from, from his son. And as Moses shared his relationship with God, his father grew, his earthly father grew. And what that means is that if you're a Christian, whether you're 12 or 52, you can be, you can be leading people and, and sharing your faith. You can play a leadership role in your home. So let me just quickly end uh, with this third, th this third point. When you put your trust in the God who delivers, it enlarges your community. And I don't just mean physically. Yes, commentators say Jethro's declaration here is that he finally at long last came to a saving faith. And then by that, they throw this party. They, they worship together. They sacrifice a lamb. They break bread, bread together. And they invite Aaron and they invite the elders. So physically, the community is enlarged. But what I mean by this is that their hearts and their minds are enlarged. Why? Because they reflect on what God has done. They spend time thinking about it deeply, what God has done for them. And their hearts and their minds are opened up. They rejoice as they reunite together. They're re-energized for whatever the Lord would have them do next. And there is much left to do. You know, today we're going to get together. We're going to have a picnic. Uh, we're going to break bread. We're going to take communion. And we're going to reunite and we're going to rejoice that this summer is not like last summer. That the re renewing work of God continues, that his deliverance continues. And while we have so much to be thankful now as we're being delivered from this pandemic, as Christians, we also recognize that in Jesus, we've been delivered from a greater plague, and that is the plague of, of sin and death. How much is deliverance a part of the identity of God? Do you know that the very name of Jesus means God saves? Do you know that it means that God is our deliverer, our salvation? That Jesus as our Lord and Savior is essentially our deliverer. And he's not just preventing you and I from trials and tribulations, as we know from this year. But that he's entering in with his whole being. He came down from heaven. He was nailed to a cross in order to bring his people out of bondage, both physical bondage, spiritual bondage as well. In Jesus Christ, God delivers us. He's delivered us on the cross himself. And in that deliverance, not only can we gain freedom and hope and joy and liberation, but his identity can become yours. His identity is given to you. And the more and more that you and I reflect on his ongoing work of deliverance, the greater perspective we'll have within every trial of our lives. And what's more, we'll have a greater perspective on God, what God is willing to do in order to deliver us. So that we can be like the woman who breaks open her perfume, pours it out at Jesus' feet because our security is not in our, in our goods. 
or we can be like Nicodemus who, who lays his life down, who gives his life over to Christ and he puts his status and his, his, uh, you know, his place in his community all at risk because he puts his trust in the, in the God who is a, del a deliverer. Or we can be like John Newton, who was a captain of a slave ship, who became a, a, a priest, who became a, a, who went into the ministry and who wrote this most amazing song, Amazing Grace, and who says this about himself. He says, I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be, but I thank God I am not what I once was. And I can say that, say, along with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that is true for you insofar as you're putting your trust in the God of deliverance, insofar as you're putting your trust in the God of Jesus. And so today, let's meet. Let's reunite. Let's hold each other. Let's hug as long as you feel comfortable. And let's say, do you remember this? Do you remember what it's like to be in this kind of community? Do you remember the time? And let's, as we reflect and we look back, let's look forward to all that God's going to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good and kind far more than we ever deserve. You're the God of, of deliverance. And you're doing that now in the world. And you'll never stop. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.